0: I remember at one of those famous managers meetings um, in the mountains, I stood up and said, we are not salespeople. I don't want you guys selling anymore. Okay, we are not sellers. We are counselors and advisors. And what our objective is, is to make sure that our customers have the absolute best experience in their particular sport. If they're going skiing for the first time, we want to make sure they have the right stuff. We want to make sure they're warm. We we want to make sure they're well outfitted. We want to make sure they look great, you know, when when they're skiing. Um, We want to take care of our customers and fulfill their needs, okay? Uh, And it's not about selling.
1: You're listening to the Legal Skinny Podcast with Trisha Burita. I'm a 16-year licensed practicing attorney in the state of Texas. I created Legal Skinny because when I've been invited to do educational seminars on different subjects in employment law and leadership topics, company leaders like CEOs, managers, and HR professionals would often ask me where can they find a little more information on this and a little more information on that. Look, I get it. There's a lot of resources out there but sometimes it's confusing and people are so busy. Sometimes people only have 30 or 15 or maybe even five minutes in their day to devote to learning something new. On this podcast, you'll hear me have discussions and interviews on topics relevant to company leaders. Disclaimer though, Legal Skitty is for entertainment and informational purposes only, not meant to provide legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. Also remember, laws change or they differ by jurisdiction, so this is not a substitute for seeking legal counsel in your jurisdiction on the current law applicable to you. Today, my guest is the fellow entrepreneur and business leader, Barry Goldware. Barry is an accomplished entrepreneur with more than 40 years of retail experience, having founded and successfully run and grown several retail businesses. His most significant venture, Sun & Ski Sports, included 30 retail stores in 13 states, various pop-up shop temporary locations, plus an e-commerce website, sunandski.com. After selling Sun & Ski, Barry founded Pop-Up Shops, the website poppable.com which is similar to a match.com, but instead of matching people, it matches brands that wanna do pop-up shops with spaces that are available for pop-up shops, including information so each party can vet one another before making direct contact. Pretty cool super idea if you ask me. My topic today is culture in a sun and ski world, where I wanted to explore the retail culture Barry built, his expansion into the e-commerce world, and his current endeavors to be the matchmaker for business collaborations with pop-up shops. I truly admire all the creativity that Barry brings to his projects. So I hope you enjoy this Legal Skinny episode, Culture in a Sun and Ski World. Welcome, Barry, to the Legal Skinny podcast.
0: Thank you, Tricia. Glad to be here.
1: Oh, I'm so glad to have you. So, uh, you know, I'd love for you to tell my listeners how you kind of got involved with entrepreneurship, you know, becoming the leader that you are today. How did it all start out, Barry?
0: Well, um, I have been an entrepreneur almost my whole life. Uh, I knew when I was four years old that I wanted to have my own business. And as a matter of fact, I had my own business at the age of 16 uh, when I was in high school and uh, actually sold light bulbs door to door, my own company. And uh, as I progressed through college, um, I I knew I was looking for an opportunity to be an entrepreneur. And um, I hooked up with my best friend, we went through grade school, high school and college together. Um, He's an entrepreneur as well. And we said, if we can combine our talents, there's no stopping us. And so That was the beginning of my uh, um, retail career.
1: Okay, so go back to the light bulb story. Which state did you do this in? Was this in Texas?
0: No, this is in Nebraska. Ah,
1: and did people buy your light bulbs that you were selling?
0: Well, it's sort of a funny story. Uh, um, I was working at a retail store in high school. I was shoes, selling shoes. And I was the low person on the totem pole. I was the stock boy slash... Salesman. What that means is that um, when there's a, a enough customers in the store, the regular salesman would handle them. The minute there was an excess of customers, that's when they'd call me either from the back room where I was doing stock work or the restroom where I was cleaning toilets. And so they would call me, Barry, customer, customer, and I'd have to get my sport jacket back on and run out and start waiting on customers. And then when, when that was over, then I had to go back to the stock room or the bathroom. <laughs> From,
1: <sell>. the t- <laughs> From the toilet to sales. <laughs> yeah, I like
0: exactly. And so I, I uh, had a friend that was working with me and I said, there's gotta be a better way. <laughs> and so I decided, hey, this will be an opportunity for me to get into my own business, which I wanted to do. And I had heard about this this company. Uh, it was a light bulb company. And the feature of their light bulb was that they never burned out. Uh, these are lifetime light bulbs. And so I said, this is it, this is gonna be easy. And so I uh, got a, um, a dist- distributorship um, from this company, uh, exclusive distributorship in Omaha, Nebraska, where I was from. And uh, I uh, went door to door, knocking on doors. You can't do that anymore, but back then you could. And, uh, you know, offered uh, um, light bulbs that did not burn out. And it was, it was very fairly successful. Uh, I, I will tell you that I found out as I got into it, that the light bulbs did burn out, Um, (laughs) but the the company said if they do burn out, send them in and they'll replace them, and uh, their hope was that people forgot about that, and then number two was they they were long-lasting. The reason they were long-lasting is that the filament was very thick, and so they lasted long, but they didn't give out as much light So if you wanted to, you know, whatever, 100 watt, you had to buy 110 watt to get the same light and that used more electricity. And so I decided my little venture here may not be as uh, uh, forthcoming as I thought. And so I uh, basically uh, uh, got out of that business. You moved on. I moved on. Thank (laughs) you. Thank you. But I've been in retail also my whole life. I worked my way through college um, at a... um, Department store in Omaha it was a women's uh, shoe department in the department store, and um, like I say, what, before I started my light bulb company, I was working selling shoes in a family shoe store, and uh, retail has uh, uh, has always been a, a, a part of my life. So,
1: so you sold shoes to women?
0: <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah do
1: you mind do you know much about women's shoes i guess
0: (laughs) i did i did at the time you know i i did at the time and what's interesting is that many of the experiences i had uh working selling shoes working for other people in retail i actually learned a number of lessons and used them in training and in forming my own uh, sun and ski sports my own retail chain of stores Ah, uh, many of the experiences uh, I had were absolutely beneficial um, for uh, some of the success of my my uh, company. Um, well, one of the examples is, I'll never forget when I did go to work at the shoes at the shoe department in the department store, women's shoe department, the manager hired me because I had this other experience, and all he did was hand me a shoehorn. and he said, "Go on the floor and sell. there were there was no training. He didn't tell me the brands that they sold. He didn't tell me the vision of the company. He didn't tell me the mission. He didn't show me how the stock was run. He just said, you go out on the floor. And and the inference was I had to go figure it out for myself. And I, I made a mental note that someday when I have my own company, there's going to be a comprehensive training program. I'm just not going to hand somebody a proverbial shoehorn and hope that they're successful.
1: I love that. So that's really I, I love that I love that all the pieces of the different places that you worked kind of compounded into what you really wanted it to look like when you had you know built your own company. So did you go from selling light bulbs to to creating sun and ski sports, or they in between entrepreneurial venue, yeah, vent- no, ventures? Yeah, no.
0: When I sold light bulbs, I was still in high school, and the the next phase of my career was uh, was when I was in college. It's when I worked at that. Department store in the women's shoe department, okay. and I worked uh, for four years, worked my way through college, basically selling women's shoes, and, and learned tremendous lesson. Uh, many people say that if you're in retail, one of the best experiences you can have is selling shoes, and it, it sure certainly was, especially to women. Certainly was.
1: What are we? Are, are women picky about their shoes?
0: Oh yeah, definitely picky. Learn some tricks of the trade. Um, um, uh, Well, one of the the, uh, funny stories I like telling stories was that I was, again, um, probably my first year in selling shoes to women in this department store. And there was a, another salesman in the department. He was an older guy, professional shoe salesman. And by the way, the, um, Terminology for professional shoe salesman is called shoe dog, and so he was a, he was a shoe dog, a professional shoe salesman, been doing it his whole life. So a particular Saturday, he says to me, "Hey Barry, how many sales do you have today?" And I looked, you know, and we we kept our own record, and I said, "Oh, I said his name was Sam Zarinsky. I said, Sam, I'm doing good today. I, I I've I've sold four hundred dollars in shoe in shoe money today." I said, how are you doing? He said, Barry, I've got over a thousand dollars in sales today. I said, wow. Uh, he comes up to me uh, again at the end of the day and he says, how are you doing? I said, well, now I'm up to 600. He says, I'm up to 2000. And he, I said, wow. And he, this goes on almost every Saturday. He's killing me. So I said, Sam, <laughs> I said, Sam, you got to give me the tip. You got to give me the solution here. Why are you always Uh, ahead of me. He said, Barry, because you do not know how to sell to women. I said, what do you mean by that? He says, you should see yourself. You're sitting there and you bring out the shoes and then you just sit there, you know, as if you're praying for a sale, okay? He says, you watch me. I wait on two or three women at the same time. And, And I bring out the shoes, I let them try it on. I give them some space. I'm not begging for the sale. And, and then I go on and wait on other uh, other women. And the bottom line is that because I do that, I can triple the sales because I'm waiting on three people, as opposed to you just sitting there hoping and praying and begging for a sale. So I said, Sam, that that's really good. And so I uh, did. I followed his his rules. I, I begin to wait on uh, um, two or three customers at the same time. And sure enough, my sales exploded. And and what's interesting, the reason I bring it up is I use that story uh, at Sun and Ski Sports to our salespeople. You know, the idea is you can wait on two or three customers and still give them the best service ever. And you talk about productivity in a retail environment. One salesman can, you know, replace three salesmen, if you will. And so, um, um, but I got to tell you, I got a little greedy. Greedy's not good. Um, so after Sam tells me that, I go, "Oh my gosh! If I waited on four customers, I could quadruple my sales." And so I remember uh, I was doing that, and I went up to a woman and I said, "Hey, can I help you?" Get trying to get another salesman. Is I said, "Is somebody helping you?" And she said, "Yes, you are." And I went, <laughs> "Oh my gosh! I forgot about her." So anyway, I got a little greedy.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I kind of love that. Because, um, I got to tell you, I buy a lot of shoes online nowadays. But uh, yep. if, if I was uh, back when I was going into the stores more often, um, I still like to wander through the shoe uh, shoe places. Yep. Um, yep. But you know, it is, takes time, right? So I don't always um, don't always spend that time doing it. But I I have I have to back up uh, what he said because I actually like it when they give me the product and they leave me alone for a minute because I want to decide whether I want it or not. I don't need someone like exactly. breathing breathing over me going do you like it? Are you going to get it? You know, exactly. and then I, exactly. you're I get begging, like stressed sale. out. <laughs> I'm like, And then I just give them the shoes back and leave. Cause I'm like, no, okay, you're right. Absolutely
0: right. And like, like I say, it's one of the reasons for the success of sun and ski sports. Cause we, you know, when you run a business, you got to control your expenses. And one of the expenses you control, which is the, one of your highest, biggest, largest expenses is payroll. And, and it's, it's, it, it's a double edged sword. Uh, at sun and ski, we believed in customer service and we wanted to give the finest customer service there was. Was. By the same token, we were a business and had to control our expenses. And by utilizing some of this training that I learned from Sam Zerinsky, we were able to deliver great customer service and keep our payroll uh, within budget.
1: You mentioned that the the one of the best things you were told to to you know when you were learning about retail was to to sell shoes, um, but. Let's just talk about retail in general. First of all, obviously, retail has changed quite a bit uh, over the years um, into a lot of different areas. Now, you know the e-commerce market and everything. But you know, why is retail different <clears throat> than other? If uh, if another um, you know business leader is listening and they maybe aren't in the retail market, like how does it work differently, and how do you? you know, teach people that are coming in and and becoming managers or working for you? How do you teach them to understand the sort of difference between retail sales and other types of sales?
0: Well, the difference, the big difference between retail and other types of sales is the fact that all these people are coming to you. Um, You you, you, Certainly you do some marketing and, and, um, uh, um, you know, have brand awareness, but the big picture is they're coming to you. And it always gave me a thrill. Uh, I was always so excited when people would actually come into my stores and leave behind their hard-earned money. And, and so the whole idea was um, to get them to come to you and then be available uh, to, uh, to uh, match their needs, to take care of their needs. And I think that's a big difference is in, in other businesses, um, the marketing, there's marketing, but the, um, the activity is, is going out to the, the, the customers, calling the customers, uh, emailing the customers, um, trying to, you know, get them to uh, have a meeting where in this case, the customers come to you. And that's a big deal. And you have to make sure that um, when those customers come to you, that you take care of them, you take care of their needs, you give them a tremendous experience so that they do a couple things. Number one, they come back. And number two, they tell their friends.
1: So trying to, I guess for you, then the experience of what happens from the moment they interact with with what goes on with in, in the culture of them coming to buy, whatever it is they're buying from you. Right. It starts right from the beginning of when they start to interact with, with your with your brand and with your product.
0: Absolutely absolutely. We had a, a program they still do. I in my, my background by the way is I like I say, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I had the opportunity to be an entrepreneur. I started uh, uh, Sun and ski and built it up to uh, 31 stores including a, a web website and uh, was able uh, to, to, uh, to, to sell it. Um, and, and so, um, um, you know, that, that is something that I'm, I'm very, 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 very proud of. Um, we developed, uh, um, to your point, um, a program called CARE. Uh, and the reason it was CARE is because we cared about our people. We cared about our customers. And, and uh, CARE was an acronym for a um, program. Uh, C standed for CONNECT build rapport, A stood for assess needs, R stood for recommend products for those specific needs, and E stood for encourage, encourage the customer to buy if, that, if the product was right for them. And, and so um, it, it starts almost before people even come in the store uh, to realize that that customer is everything
1: and you you and i have kind of talked offline about this a little bit but your company culture it sounds to me like that also would breed into you know how you empowered you know the employees that worked for you um cuz i'm i'm guessing i don't know you know um the exact i'd like to hear the progression of when you go from one store to multiple stores to all of a sudden 31 stores obviously not all of a sudden but in like sudden. <laughs> <laughs> but when you get to that point like it, it's very different Barry. you can't be in all those stores so how how does that how do you grow and successfully grow a culture from what you can, where you can hands on uh, touch all the employees versus you know they're in different places now and you're still trying to have an impact? How how did you handle that?
0: Um, th- there's a, there's a couple of of ways. Um, the the first is um, a, um, every one of the people that worked uh, with me um, at Sun and Ski, I consider them to be not employees um but partners um the the whole idea was we were all in this together and as partners we shared the spoils um and i got that um um idea and i'll tell you a little story here um uh i suppose we were i might have had 10 stores at the time 15 stores at the time and we were in the there still are in the ski business. And we used to have uh, managers meetings at ski resorts and um, was able to really cut some pretty good deals. We, we had what we called the resort of the year program where we would uh, approach a resort, tell them that we wanted them to be the resort of the year uh, in return for promoting them throughout the whole year, uh, letting them have access to all of our customers who were their customers. Um, you know, we, we, we uh, in turn, um, said we want to come to your resort at the end of the season when you're not busy, and I would like a comp trip for all of my store managers, and was very successful in doing that. And so at the end of the season, for a, a number of years, most years, we had a great managers meeting at a ski resort. And in the morning we do have our meetings and in the afternoon we'd all go skiing. And um, uh, during these meetings, we would like many you know, company meetings, we'd give away awards. Uh, we'd give an award for the number one volume store. We give an award for the most improvement. We give an award for the most dollars per square foot on and on and on. And so this particular year, um, like I say, we're probably in 10 stores at the time. Um, this particular year, uh, I realized two days before the trip that I had forgotten to order the trophies. So I immediately rush over. This is like a Tuesday. I'm leaving first thing Thursday morning. I I'm, I rush over to the mall, which was near our corporate headquarters, and I go into. They had a um, trophy store. I went into the store and I said, "I need ten trophies, and uh, they, I need them engraved." And they said, "Great." And I said, "But here's the thing. I, I need them." I I need them by tomorrow midday, and they said okay, no problem, and so that was great. So I um um actually stopped back on my way co- coming home. How you doing? Oh, we're good, we're good. Okay, I said okay, I'm I'm coming in midday tomorrow to pick up my ten trophies. So anyway, I next day I go in for over lunch. I go to pick up my trophies, and they say to me, uh, Mr. Goldware, uh, we're so sorry we don't have the trophies. I said I said I'm leaving tomorrow morning I have to have those trophies no problem no problem here's what we want you to do you, why don't you you and your wife come to the mall and um, you know around closing time or whatever or even before I'm sure your wife likes going to a mall I said of course she likes going to the mall. Why don't you come to the mall and um, when the mall closes you come to our store and by that time we will have all 10 of your trophies and I said you better. OK, because I'm in big trouble if you don't. So anyway, I uh, tell my wife, we want to go to the mall. Of course, she says, of course. So we go to the mall, I walk around the mall a little bit. It's now closing time and um, go to the trophy store. It's nine o'clock closing time. And I said, um, are, my, are my trophies ready? And he looks at me and says, oh, my gosh, I'm so embarrassed. He said, we're almost there though, Mr. Gold. We're almost there. I have seven of them done. We're gonna do three more. Why don't you go to the food court, you and your wife, have a cup of coffee, relax a little bit, and I promise you in a half an hour, I will have the rest of them done, the the three remaining done. I said, okay, you better be right here. So anyways, I go into the food court in the mall to get my cup of coffee and I go to the first uh, concession and before I can even open my mouth to order a cup of coffee, the young high school teenager takes the, 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 the screen and pulls it down, almost takes my hand off. And I said, but I'd like to order a cup of coffee. He said, we're closed. It's nine o'clock. We're closed. So I said, oh my gosh. So I go to the next concession. And again, before I could even have the word coffee roll off my lips, um, the, the, he tells me, we are closed. He closes the the screen and he says, we're done. It's nine o'clock. So this happens two or three times and I'm going, oh my gosh. And so then I look over and I see the next concession, which was the Cinnabon place. And so I'm on my way walking to the Cinnabon place. And this nice lady says to me, Hey, I bet you could use a cup of coffee. And I went to myself, oh my gosh, what is what is going on here? And then she says, and I bet you would love to have a Cinnabon to go with that. And I said, oh my gosh. I said to myself, all these other places are closing. This woman couldn't be nicer. She wants to stay open. And then the light bulb went off. It hit me. It was an epiphany. I, and I said to her, you're an owner, aren't you? You own this. She says, yep. And I said, well, I explained my experiences In the other you know her competition she says we do our best business at closing time she said everybody else is closing they can hardly wait to get out and we do big business at closing time and and it it was a lesson i swear it was a lesson that that was one of the reasons for the success of sun and ski and that is back to my point um she was an owner and that's why she cared so much so I said to myself, hey, I can't be in all the stores at the same time. What happens when a customer comes to Sun and Ski at 9 o'clock in closing time and, and, and they want to outfit their whole family to go skiing? And, and we, we, we would have to stay till 10, 11 o'clock at night. Would I do that as an owner? Absolutely. So uh, again, it was an epiphany. The light bulb went off. And it was at that point, I mean, I already knew this, but it fanned the fire so that all of my people were partners. The store managers were, were partners from the standpoint that the better their stores did, the higher their compensation. Um, the assistant manager were on a similar program. Uh, even the salespeople uh, were all on commission, based on the, the the you know the the better they did, the more successful they would become. And so um, it, it was a matter of partnership that has was one of the main reasons for the success of our company. I didn't want to have people having doors slammed in their faces, our customers. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they you wanted them to get the coffee in the cinnabon
0: exactly exactly
1: um, yeah and just just to note <laughs> this, they didn't they weren't legally partners right um, no, they were not
0: legally partners they, uh, they were uh, um, you know they had the benefits some of the benefits of being a partner the big picture was the more successful they were especially the managers in their stores uh, uh, the more we shared in the profitability of the stores. And so um, they considered it to be their store. And that was a big deal.
1: Yeah, I like that in order. So there's a lot of um, questions I get about this, like, you know, about when they incentivize, will it really work with employees? And I think, you know, you have to get the right incentive um, because not all incentives incentivize all employees. And certainly with the different generations now, one of the big focuses and conversations I've heard about is you know, different generations are incentivized by different things now. Um, and you're seeing more and more of that, um, as people, you know, interact with the different generations as to what they want. You know, some of them are looking for, you know, um, how, what the brand is going to look like and what the brand is, stands for and how the brand's going to interact. And, you know, and, and I mean, they, I've even seen it where, you know, you're looking at, do they want a company retreat that's involved with something sort of like, um, Awesome! Like I love the ski trip idea. I'd be all that. My husband and I would love that. Um, but, but you know, some sometimes other things are are incentivizing to so employees as well.
0: You're, you're absolutely right. Uh, um, um, uh, you know, we it, it, that's the general concept is we wanted people to feel that they were truly part of the company that they were that that store was was their store, and and it took we developed these programs over years based on many of the uh, um, ideas that you're, that you're talking about. Uh, um, um, uh, for, for example, um, m- many people are, are incentivized by what the company stands for. And so we uh, um, uh, let people know part of the training is to what Sun & Ski stands for. And, and it's a couple things. We believe uh, as a company that it's not all about making money, but it's about giving back. And so we we gave back and still do uh, the company I sold I sold the company eight and a half years ago gives back one of the things we used to do we had a uh, we had a promotion a, a program to give back called Share Your Warmth and uh, um, what we would do was uh, during the cold cold winter uh, we would encourage customers to bring their gently worn warm clothing their ski clothing to the store in return for a discount. And then we collected all that and then donated it to the homeless shelters so, so that when the weather turned blizzardy, when it was cold, take Houston, Texas, it's 100 degrees today. But we all know that it can get below freezing. And, um, you know, what do homeless people do? So, so we collected tons of warm clothing. Uh, to give back uh, uh, to the community. Uh, The the other thing is I told our salespeople, I said, and I shouldn't say salespeople because when I'm going to, I'm sort of contradicting myself. Um, I I remember at one of those famous managers meetings um, in the mountains, I stood up and said, we are not salespeople. I don't want you guys selling anymore. And I got all these looks. What is Here's the CEO of the company, a for-profit company. What, what are you talking about? And I said, we are not salespeople. When you go buy a used car, hope none of your listeners are in the car business. But when you, when <laughs> you, go, when you go buy a used car, that's selling. Okay. We are not sellers. We're, we are counselors and advisors. And what our objective is, is to make sure that our customers have the absolute best experience in their particular sport. If they're going skiing for the first time, we want to make sure they have the right stuff. We want to make sure they're warm. We we want to make sure they're well outfitted. We want to make sure they look great, you know, when when they're skiing. Um, We want to take care of our customers and, and fulfill their needs. Okay. Uh, and it's not about selling. Okay. And, um, I, I, so I said, now let's just sort of step back for a moment. If we're here to make sure that customers have the absolute best experience in their sport. Um, when a customer goes skiing, we know they need gloves. We know they need hat that they, they, they need jackets. Uh, um, they need hand warmers. They need to they, they need a helmet, they need to be warm, they need to be, you know, uh, uh, have great looking stuff, and they need to be safe. Um, that's, that's making sure that that experience is, is, is good. Um, but wh- what's gonna happen to the sales when we just have that attitude? It's a higher level. What's gonna happen? And they all looked around and said, oh my gosh, sales will explode because we're here to help a customer. We're not here to push something on them that they don't need, but there are some necessities that they will need. And uh, we wanna make sure that they have just the absolute best experience in their, in their sport. And so um, people buy into that. Like you're saying, many of these uh, um, younger uh, uh, salespeople, and I shouldn't say sales counselors and advisors, uh, um, you know, th- they like the idea that we're here to help. Uh, we're here to give back, and uh, that that worked very well. The other thing we did is that um, um, w- our chain of command in our stores in our company was a little different than other companies. Matter of fact, this concept I'm about to tell you uh, about I stole. From Nordstrom's, okay, it's a Nordstrom's concept that we em- we embellished. And what- I
1: don't, don't say you stole anything. Barry. Okay,
0: well, <laughs> you can steal, you know, ideas. Or I know you're a lawyer, and I'm probably incriminating myself. Here, okay, but- like
1: just just go with you're inspired.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, um, it, it's 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 the inverted chain of command. It's the inverted triangle. And basically, what that is is most companies, all, m- most all companies. Um, when you look at a chain of command, there's one person at the top, the CEO. And from there, there are the CEO uh, is, the, is the CEO. And then there may be a number of vice presidents. And then there may be supervisors and and, and um, um, all kinds of other people that report up. And the, when you look at it, the chain of command is a triangle. It, it's CEO at the top. And then at the base, there's all the rest of the employees that ultimately report to that CEO. What we did, what Nordstrom's did, what we did was turn that triangle upside down. And um, the, 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 we, we asked the question in our training to our associates, who is the boss in this company? Okay. And the answer that we wanted and the answer that everybody believed in after they went through our training was the boss in this company is the customer. Okay. So in our case, the customer is on top. Uh, To be a little facetious, the customer is the CEO of the company. Okay. And if that be the case, who then is the most influential, most important um, uh, position in the company? And the answer is it's anybody in the company that deals with the boss. So the sales associates, the cashiers are, are critical. So they're like the vice presidents of the company. And then it continues down. Um, then comes store managers and then comes corporate staff. And then where am I, um, the CEO of the company board of directors? I'm at the bottom, okay? And, and my job, as part of the board of directors, is to make sure that all of those team members that are above me, keyword above me, have the motivation, the training, the tools, the incentive to take care of the boss, which is the customer. And um, uh, that spoke volumes. It speaks volumes about Sun and Ski. Uh, When I I went into, and, and it's one thing to say it, But you got to live it, too. And I firmly, this is from my heart, I firmly believe this. So when I would go visit stores, and like I say, we had 31 stores in 13 states. When I did a store visit, I would absolutely, uh, not only would I talk to the store manager and so forth, but I would take a sales associate, uh, an advisor, if you will, out for a cup of coffee. Um, He might be a part-time, or she might be part-time and going to college, and I would take this individual out and, and have a cup of coffee and I'd say, okay, you know, um, Tricia, tell me what we're doing wrong. Tell me what dumb things we're doing from our corporate headquarters in Houston, Texas. Um, do you have any suggestions? And they would, all of a sudden they'd look at me and I said, no, I'm serious. I, I, you know, we're sitting in Houston, Texas. You're here, you're on the firing line. You're dealing with the boss. What can we do better? And uh, I got all kinds of great suggestions, got some crazy ones, too, but got some suggestions. And I always made an attempt to listen objectively and also to get back to them. And and then the benefits were not only do we get some good suggestions, but I heard overheard uh, some of these salespeople say, you'll never believe this. I went out to lunch or I went out for a cup of coffee with the CEO and he actually asked my opinion. And and that speaks volumes. We believe that the people on the firing line, the people that are on the floor, anybody that is dealing with the customer, uh, they are essential. They're critical. They're the most important people there. And that everybody else needs to support that interaction, which is the the interaction between the the sales associate, the consultant, and um, the uh, customer. I love that, and that's part of our. That was part of our culture too. Uh, even today, I mean, it's eight and a half years later, and I, uh, I I bought some stuff at Sun and Ski, and I said to the uh, the the uh, person who was helping me, I said, "Who's the boss here?" You know, keeping my fingers crossed that this is still <laughs> going on, and she immediately said, "The customer." And I used to go in the stores and try to fool them. I'd say, "Okay, who's the boss? Who, who's the boss here?" You know. And I'd point to myself and, um, again, the answer I wanted was not me, not Barry, not the founder, but the customer is the boss here. So.
1: I love that. Uh, very, very interesting way to teach culture. Um, you know, it's cool that you, you went and tested that too. Like it's one thing saying, okay, this is what I want the culture to look like. Tell a bunch of managers and then, you know hope that it happens, but that the fact that you went out and tried to see if it actually was working, like, um, you know, especially when you do have so many locations and, and employees that, you know, you're not interacting with on a daily basis. So you can't see, um, and managers, you're not dealing with on a daily basis. And it sounds to me like the way you had it set up is that you really wanted, you know, each manager of each of those stores to take real ownership. So exactly. while I was joking about them, of course, not being real partners, you know, I don't want anyone to think that's but <laughs> <laughs> so sensitive, you know, on my legal skinny. No, but, I, know,
0: I, I love it. I love it.
1: But, but that, that you, you know, you, you gave them a piece of the pie that you gave them that investment that you made it, you know, made and I guess what I was definitely um, pointing out, which I think you confirmed Barry, that you had these pieces in Sun and Ski as well, is that, not only did you have this compensation financial incentive to make them buy into the culture that you have these other pieces as well. And I really like when, you know, when, when I see a company figure out how to do that, like for instance, you guys taking in, you know, used, um, you know, ski or, or winter um, sports jackets or whatever it is that they were using and using that and giving that to the homeless. It just, it's not so off brand that it's awkward and weird. Like it it made sense for like your brand to like bring that yes. all in. And I think that always sort of resonates a little easier with the culture for the employees, you know, that they can really feel the authenticity of the whole thing come circle that yes, you want to financially incentivize them. Um, but you also are looking to, you know, give back to the community and that's a piece of who you are and that you want them to invest in all of that, you know, buy into all of that to really, exactly. if you want to do well here at this company, then, and I, I, that's one reason I talk about culture so much in, um, is, um, is that because a lot of people try to put them and I think a long time ago, maybe I did too, before I really, you know, uh, was practicing employment law a lot more. Um, and doing HR consulting that you would put them in separate boxes, they would think, okay, here's legal, and then here's the culture, right. And really, what I've learned after talking to so many CEOs and HR um, heads of companies and and corporations, is that, Actually, it's so so intertwined. Like the whole thing is so intertwined that the way that the culture is can create the legal problems I end up dealing with. Um, And and if you build a great culture, one with great communication and expectations and give back to the employees in a way, you will find that you have some less... it's, I wouldn't say you don't have any legal problems because that's probably like an, a, an imaginary, imaginary world um, where we live in a litigious world. But I think what it does is when when you're thinking about at the end of the day, if someone was going to bring a claim or something against your company, and you're explaining your culture to a jury, you know, there's one type where you have, you know, the culture is very broken and it's not, it's not, um, it's a culture where you could maybe buy in that, hey, yeah, maybe this. This bad XYZ thing could, could have occurred, whereas if you have a culture that is built on the fact that it's transparent, that you're trying to you know help the employees while you're still trying, of course, make a profit for the company. Right. And how do you do that all in a way that's you know um, that works together? And and I, it sounds to me like you you were successful at doing that, obviously, uh, to build yeah. up with so many well, stores.
0: It, it was it was that culture and the, 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 some of the ingredients of that culture that we've talked about was was my cinema. Uh, um, you know, uh, w- w- you know, when you have people that, first of all, uh, really important and, uh, um, you know, um, John Wynn, w- w- one of your, um, uh, um, podcasters, uh, um, mentioned the key about it also is you have to care. You have to care about your employees. You have to care about your communities and so forth. And, and that's why our acronym was CARE because, uh, first of all, uh, that upside down triangle, sort of spelled it out, but but we cared about people and, and and that's really, really important. And there's an old saying that people do not care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that is Suninsky personified. And um, if you care about your people, Um, and and then practice it. It's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to, to have action. They'll go to the ends of the earth for you. And that's what we found. We had some very dedicated, uh, very great, um, staff who, who, did, who really were, were very successful. And because of their success, Sun and Ski was successful as well.
1: I kind of want to switch gears and talk a little bit about the challenges in, in the retail business, the technology challenges of, of how it's the trends and the changes. Certainly, as we've seen most retail or a lot of retail um, break away and go um, each, either fully online in the e-commerce world or partially online and what that looks like. And how do you bring how do you how do you stay with sort of that um, transition and hold the culture? Because that's a different um a uh, different group of people that you're dealing with you're not now you have customers that are you know um calling in you have a whole bunch of stuff that you're you're maybe dealing with at a different level and do you have any thoughts about how you kind of held on to the culture in that way
0: yeah and it's sort of a good segue into my new company which is uh, Popable.com. thank you very much uh, for, for, doing that. But yeah, the world, the retail world is changing. There's no question about it. And uh, um, you know, brick and mortar is, has been turned upside down because of the Amazons of the world and the fact that people can buy online. Okay. Um, and so the the burning question is how as a brick and mortar retailer, i.e. Sun and Ski, can you compete in in, in this crazy new retail world? And the answer is that you gotta be what's called omni channel. And the definition of omni channel means that you have to have brick and mortar stores as well as online. So there's Sun and Ski stores, as I've talked about, but we also, or they also have sunandski.com. It's a very robust, very cool website where you can now buy everything and even more uh, merchandise that's in the store. You can buy it online, you can get it delivered to your home, or you can actually get it delivered to a store and you can, you can pick it up. And so it's very, very important to have this multi-channel situation. Um, the reason I formed... Uh, popable, um, or it basically it's another word for pop-up shops, is that um, when I was at Sun and Ski, we actually did some temporary stores. Um, we were big in, obviously, in the ski business. The winter business was our biggest business. And it hit me, why don't we just open up uh, maybe a couple stores for the ski season so we can basically uh, gr- take in all that revenue, all that profit, and not have to give it away in the slower summer. And I found that it was just so difficult to find um, temporary locations. I would uh, search and search and, uh, um, you know, you drive around, you you see a center that you think might be good. There's always a release sign at the center. You get on the phone, you try to call them. Um, invariably, uh, you get their voicemail. They never call you back. You call them again. You play phone tag, and then finally you connect, okay? And then one of, uh, uh, one of the rules is, and this is pre-COVID, One of the rules is that if you're gonna wanna sell a deal, okay, you don't give your deal on the phone. Um, you, you, you give it in person, that's always the most effective way. And so there's an old story, an old saying that you don't, what you're doing is you're selling a meeting. You're not selling your deal, you're selling a meeting. And so I would sell a meeting, I'd go to this meeting and I'd walk in and they'd say, oh, we're so happy to see you, we love sun and ski. And I would say, well, that's great. Well, here, why I'm here is that I'm looking at doing some temporary stores. And before I could, the, the word temporary would roll off my lips, they would stop me and they would say, Barry, again, we love Sun and Ski. If you want to sign a five-year, 10-year, 15-year lease, we'd love to have you, but we do not do temporaries. And and so uh, I wasted all that time and all that energy because nine out of 10 times that happened. So anyway, fast forward to the new retail. Okay. Fast forward to what we're talking about and um, pop-up shops, temporary stores are the way that online retailers can still have some impact with the customer on a direct basis. There's nothing that replaces eyeball to eyeball uh, communication. And so one of the ways to to compete is that, yeah, you're online, but why not have a a, a pop-up shop? Um, in, in some of your markets where you have most of your customers so that you can actually talk to them eyeball to eyeball. They can touch and feel the merchandise. And it's been proven that if you can have that multi-impact, uh, it absolutely increases sales. And so it hit me that pop-up shops, uh, because of all the vacancies in malls, uh, are all, uh, very popular now. But it hit me that, man, when I was trying to find a pop-up shop, A temporary store, if there would have been a website that I could have gone to, uh, a website where I could plug in my vicinity, I could plug in where I'm looking to do a a retail store, uh, or I could go on and actually see the center, I could see the spaces that were available, I could look right on the website and see all the demographics of that center, see who also the neighboring retailers were, and then have a direct link to the decision maker, that would have saved me all kinds of time. And so based on my experience doing that and the new retail, meaning that pop-up shops and temporary stores are, many people call them the new retail. Um, I I called the person that I had hired to do sunandski.com who had done a phenomenal guy's a genius did a tremendous job at sun and ski. He was so good that he left and f- founded his own agency to do those kind of things. Um, um I, his name is Scott. And I said, Scott, here's my idea. We need the, the key is the website. We need a cool robust website where both brands and spaces can go on and find each other. Sort of like a match.com if you will. And I said, what do you think? He said, Barry, I love it. I'm in. And so with that, we, we founded uh, popable.com. It, it, it helps solve some of the the issues of uh, the challenges of the new retail.
1: Yeah, that's interesting that you bring it up because you're right. Like you don't, um, you know, you hear about the trendy pop-up type restaurant type thing where they come in and they take over a piece, but you don't see it as much. Um, I, and you're definitely seeing it more, but you hadn't seen it as much. And I think probably the first time I, I ever saw it was when, they allowed a Halloween shop to come in and like take over space and, um, sell all the crazy Halloween stuff, like in a sort of seasonal way. And, um, and it was so successful. I was so shocked. It was packed every time I went in there. Um, people want to feel and touch some things still, you know, even though, um, there is still, you know, um, Jeff Bezos and his Amazon, uh, monster out there, you know, there is, there is a, a piece of that, especially when, you know, certainly certain types of products people are very particular about, and they know that it's going to be hard to try to figure out how to get the right thing that they want online. Um, So I love it. I think it's a super cool idea and I wish you so much luck with. um, Thank you. Thank you.
0: And and there's some real success stories out there. For example, the eyeglasses uh, company called Warby Parker. I don't know if you've heard of them. I'm wearing a pair of Warby Parkers, but um, they were a online only retailer. Uh, the, their concept was that you send them your prescription and um, you go on their website, you pick out, I, I think it was up to five frames. They would send the frames to you uh, at no charge. You, you try them on, you look at them, you figure out the one you want. You send the five frames back and then tell them which one you want. And again, with your prescription. And for $95, they would add the prescription lenses, to this particular frame and then send it to your house um, at no, at no uh, freight charge. Um, that was a great concept, but uh, again, it's a new retail. They're online only. They, they wanted to get in front of their customers. They wanted to talk to their customers. They, they wanted to you know get some reaction on a eyeball to eyeball basis. So they decided to open up temporary stores. They opened up a number of pop-up shops so that they could get in front of their customers and talk to them on a direct basis. And, and it was so successful that they now are opening hundreds of their own permanent stores. So <laughs> that's another example of this omni-channel. That's a way to compete is to be online, but also have brick and mortar as well. I love it.
1: So, what would you say as you know, you're moving through like obviously now running two to you know multiple different entrepreneurial ventures here, Sun and Sea Sports. You know, of course, um, huge many different stores. Now you're into this whole Poppable thing. Like, you know, what has been like one of your number one challenge over the years as a company leader? and how have you overcome it?
0: Um, I can tell you that the number one challenge, number one in any one of my businesses, it hasn't been capital. It hasn't been necessarily that the business model was wrong. <clears throat> the number one challenge is getting the right people. We're in the people business. And the key is to have the best people in the, the position that they need to be in. And it's you want the very best, And I found that it was just very challenging to find the right people.
1: So how do you find the right people, Barry?
0: (laughs) I mean, you find the right people um, um, by never compromising, okay? Um, You may go through headhunters, you may run ads, uh, you may have a referral program, but you absolutely do not compromise and you do all of your homework to make sure you have the right person and then i found that the best interview there is is let's go to work you told me how great you are i told you what a great company i am <clears throat> let's let's see let's do you know find out when the rubber meets the road if you're you know if what you're telling me is really really the truth and i mean i wouldn't say it like that but that's the spirit of the thing so we would always have a 90 day trial period um, we're And it's for both. I mean, I told everybody what a great company we are, um, what we stand for, all these things that I've enumerated to you. And then they've told me, you know, how, how great they are. And so, like I say, it's 90 days for each to look at each other. And and then if you have to make the hard decisions, you make the hard decisions.
1: Hope yeah, that's no. legal.
0: Hope that's legal.
1: <laughs> I bet you do hope that's legal there. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I get that. A lot of people ask me about the 90 day thing, you know, um, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, a lot of, a lot of employers use it depends on of course, which jurisdiction you're in, make sure on what it means. But, um, in general, you usually can have it. Um, but of course right, that right. that's coming from an outwell perspective as well. So, <laughs> all right. So, all right. As a business leader, do you have like habits or personal, like daily, weekly routine things that you kind of become part of your routine that sort of have given you the space to, you know, be creative to come up with these ideas and leadership and 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 your entrepreneurship ventures uh,
0: yeah yes i do um, um one of the things that i uh, have always done matter of fact i recommend to other executives is to you, you know there's as an executive in running a company there's all kinds of meetings okay but the most important meeting there is is a meeting with yourself and many people forget that. So I always had a meeting with myself. I mean, as a matter of fact, when I was running the Sun and the Ski, I mean, I, uh, you know, I'd be up early, I'd exercise, but then I, I would go to breakfast, um, just myself, and plan the day. I had plans for stuff you're going to do that day, but I also looked at my long range, big picture stuff. And, and in the in the peace and quiet you know of uh, no phones ringing nobody coming in your office no other meetings uh, i thought it was really really important to have this uh, meeting with yourself and 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 not only to uh, determine the day to day stuff but most important to determine those big picture where your what are your goals where you want to be where do you want to go are you making that kind of progress and so um, uh, I firmly believe in the most important meeting is a meeting with yourself.
1: I love all that okay well barry I've had so much fun with you today like uh we've covered so much ground i think i I would love for you to do the legal skinny rundown with me if you if you want okay
0: to. okay I'm happy to <laughs> okay
1: all right beach or mountains
0: beach absolutely beach I love the ocean uh, um uh, you know uh, aside from hurricanes. Uh, um, I, I would, I would spend the rest of my life on the, you know, on the beach.
1: I really was going to count on mountains since we were, you we talked so you much know, about the skiing. You know,
0: I will say <laughs> that mountains are really important and, and, and I love mountains. Um, but when you say beach or, I mean, it's either or, right? right. I, I mean, it's right. Know, so, so, I'm just saying that the, of course, you know, beach is sun, sun and ski. So that's right. okay.
1: That's, okay. <laughs> that's right. Okay. Um, Ellis or the Beatles?
0: Uh, Beatles, absolutely love the Beatles. Uh, they came, that they, they were getting popular or are popular when I was in college and after college, and uh, I like Elvis, but the Beatles are the Beatles are my, my for me.
1: Do you have a favorite Beatles song?
0: No, no, I like them all. I like them all.
1: Yeah. All right, the most influential book you've read.
0: The most influential book that I've read is The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. Um, i be honest with you, that that whole mindfulness, um, um, you know, the, 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 you know, the summary in a few words is that most people spend 50% of their time feeling guilty about the past and what they did wrong. And the other 50% being fearful of the future. So 50 and 50, that's 100%. And they have no time left for the most important, which is the present. And, um, like I say, uh, uh, I've, sort of known that, but, but he has a way of presenting it and, uh, it's, it's, it's basically changed my life that, that concept. And, and because of him, I've read other books on mindfulness and feel that there's really something there for, for a person's uh, happiness.
1: I, I, I tend to agree. So I've, I've read many similar books to that as well. And I've heard of the power now. I just haven't read that one, but, um, Good to know. Good good reminder, Barry. I'll Until, go back to that. Okay, good. <laughs> All right. Dead or Alive, what famous person would you invite to dinner?
0: You know, I, I thought about that. And, and uh, maybe this is more from what's going on in the world today, or I should say in the United States today. Um, dead or Alive, I would like to go to dinner with Abraham Lincoln. Oh. Um, I, I would really like to... Ask him some key questions about what he really felt about slavery, what he really felt about the Civil War, um, all those things that um, have raised their, you know, the t- topics of conversations uh, uh, today. And it would be great to, to really uh, pick his brain.
1: Yes. Very interesting man, certainly. Um, probably uh, a, a great thinker of a lot of different things. And, yes, um, Big, big picture kind of person, even though he may not have had everything right, um, he certainly had some stuff right, which made him, um, a lot of people probably uh, disagree with him at the time, uh, some right, of the thoughts right. that he had. And, you know, and
0: I'd like to know about that. I'd, uh, I'd like to know how they did disagree with him. And, and what is, what was his really true feeling about slavery? Because um, there's some differences of opinion about what his true feelings were. So um, um, it would just be fascinating to be able to sit down with that gentleman.
1: That's a that's a good one. Okay. So finally, in one minute or less, what is the skinny on building a great company culture for the busy business leader?
0: Uh, again, I, I've, we've spent a lot of time on our, our culture. And I think the fact is you there's a couple components. A, you got to care. You got to care about your people. Um, the, if, if they think you don't care, they're not going to give you 110%. By the same token, if they do feel you care, you really care about them as human beings, as people, um, as employees, the, 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 they'll go to the ends of the earth for you. And then, like I say, the whole idea is the culture of the company was to really sit back and realize, you know, who's who's making this all happen? In our company and this, this is not just retail. This is any company. Uh, who's making it happen are the customers are the clients and you have to put them on a pedestal and then realize that anybody who deals with them directly are critical. To the success of, of the company and, and, and many companies, it's the opposite. Like when I gave you my example of our upside inverted triangle, um, part time salespeople at our competition, they were on the low end. They were on the lower rungs of the ladder. Who cares about part time salespeople? You know, in our case, we put them on pedestals. We, we love them. We, we, we got, we asked for their opinion. We cared about them. And I think that was a, a, a major, major, reason why Sun & Ski was and still is successful today.
1: Awesome. And so if someone wants to get in touch with you and um, follow along what you're doing um, today with Poppable, what's the best way for them to do that?
0: Best way is, uh, would be barry at poppable.com.
1: Okay. And that's P-O-P-A-B-L-E.com, right?
0: Correct. Correct. And that's sort of an acronym, sort of short for, not an acronym, but short for the pop-up shop business. We we match brands that want to do pop-ups with spaces that are specifically available for pop-ups.
1: Brilliant idea. Barry, thank you so much for joining me today.
0: Thank you for having me. This is fun.
1: And that's The Legal Skinny on Culture in a Sun and Ski World. Thanks for joining me on this episode of the Legal Skinny podcast. I would love for you to go to www.legalskinny.com forward slash review to learn the super simple way to leave me a review to tell me which topics and guests you like. I value your thoughts and your review helps me support more company leaders just like you to grow as a leader themselves and to grow successful teams. I also drop the link in the show notes if that's easier for you. And while you're there, check out all the other resources I have for you as a company leader. And don't forget, our disclaimer to remember, legal Skinny is for entertainment and informational purposes only, not men to provide legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. Laws change or they differ by jurisdiction. So also remember, this is not a substitute for seeking legal counsel in your jurisdiction on the current law applicable to you.